Hi, I'm Matthew McCabe. Welcome to Miracle Voices. Each episode, my co-host Judy Scutch Whitson and I will be delving into stories of forgiveness, healing, and transformation that have come about from integrating the principles of the book A Course in Miracles. If you want to learn more about A Course in Miracles, visit www.acim.org. If you'd like to visit Miracle Voices site, please go to www.miraclevoices.org. Now here's your program. Judy, how you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Matt. And how are you today? I'm doing great. I shouldn't say I'm doing great. We were both discussing before the podcast started about how the world just seems kind of upside down sometimes here as we uh, close 2020. And we were just talking about like, wow, what do we do in the face of all this change and, and sometimes hardship in people's lives? And I think the story you're going to relate today really dials in that concept. What do we do in the face of pain as the world kind of goes through some sort of metamorphosis right now? You're going to tell us today about a story that happened with Bill, and I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Well, speaking about pain, and the pain we see around us and the pain we know the whole world is going through as we see and live in it as reality. Um, it's a very good time for me in talking with you to stop and realize that when we deal with our pain individually and we manage to go past it, what I mean go past it is to recognize in the Course's language, the body is not real. So the world body is not real. But each individual has to take the responsibility of wanting the awakening to that. And that's at all different levels at different times. One is not better or worse than another. It's all the same. But we seem to be at different stages of that recognition. And comparing one to someone else is not necessarily good about anything. (laughs) So instead of thinking about the world's pain, about COVID and about the world's political situation, about the turmoil in all the countries that we hear about, about our own homeless, our own pain, our own suffering, one comes back to oneself. How can I see this differently. Because as you see it differently, you're given different guidance on how to act and respond. And that does affect the world as we know it. So the Course says, seek not to change the world, but change instead the way you see it. It's a very profound statement to me. Seek not to change the world. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means you first change in your mind how you see it. And again, coming back to it, it's seeing the world in a different way because we start to deeply believe in non-duality. And we see all of this that we're living in together that seems so very real as an illusion. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about something that happened to me and my personal pain, and actual physical pain, because I learned something very, very deep from it. And here goes the story. In 1977, which is truly a long time ago, 
uh, I was living in New York City and already had received the course and it was already published so that I was very deeply involved in daily practice and being with the scribes who took it down as my mentors, teachers, and friends, and Dr. Kenneth Wapnick, who was also part of our little group. And my life was very full of learning the philosophy of this document, which felt so very true to me indeed. And it seems somehow or other I was given the the responsibility, the job, the opportunity in our group of being a communicator then. I was telling people who wanted to know about it. Helen and Bill did not like to talk about it in public at all. And since I had already had been teaching and had various television shows I appeared on and radio programs, it wasn't uncomfortable for me to tell people about it. So a few of the people I told about it were visiting my home one day. Uh, they stayed until around 5, 5.30, and we were all talking. And finally, a lot of them left, and Bill Thetford was with me, and the other people were gone, and three doctors remained. And they were all from Columbia University. And they were all people that actually Bill did not know until they came over that day. But strangely enough, they were extremely interested in The Course in Miracles. And one hadn't expected people in the medical profession to take the time to start thinking more philosophically. But of course, that was my mistake in thinking that was true. So here they were, and we were all talking, and I suddenly realized, uh-oh, it looks like they're going to stay for dinner and I better go into the kitchen and start preparing. And what made me put on a pot of oil to boil so I could make very skinny French fried potatoes along with a meal? I don't know, because that does take a while, but I did. So if you can picture this, they were talking with each other in another room in our library, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm preparing dinner, and besides all the chicken and the other dishes I'm making, I am making French fries from scratch with boiling oil. And I was angry because I was depriving myself of being with the people and having the discussion, which was much more interesting to me than making dinner. I projected my anger a little bit on them for staying for dinner. My anger, of course, and my guilt was at myself for not telling them, thank you, no, not tonight. And I was very distracted, and I was not happy. And all of a sudden, I picked up the pot of boiling oil to drain some of it off, and I drained it right on top of my hand. So with my right hand, I was holding the pot, and my left hand got scorched, uh, the hand itself and up to the wrist. And the pain was, of course, excruciating. And I must have screamed very loud, because the four men came running into the room. What's the matter? What's the matter? And soon as the doctors realized what had happened to me, they saw actual blisters of skin starting to bubble up on my arm. They said, oh, this is not good. And one of them went to call his hospital and tell them he was bringing me in as an emergency burn patient. The other one said, I'll go down and get my car. And the third one said, I'll go with you. So they rush out of the apartment and they're expecting Bill 
to get me downstairs and into the car. But instead, Bill just looked at me and he said, are you ready to let go? He didn't say what he knew, what I was thinking. He didn't discuss what let go meant. I just sort of knew. And through my tears, I nodded. And he put one hand over, but not touching, the burned hand, and the other one under the burned hand. He closed his eyes, and he just stood there. And I was so astonished because I really didn't know what was happening. And I closed my eyes, thinking how wonderful of him that he cares this much, that he's trying to help me in this way. And as I was thinking that, I realized the pain was gone. I looked down at my hand. The blisters were gone. It wasn't red. It wasn't damaged. The doctors came running back to put me in the car and take me to the hospital. They could not believe what they saw. And so they went home. (laughs) (laughs) I think they they were literally freaked out <laughs> because this can't happen. We know it can't happen, but it happened. It happened. And Bill and I were discussing it later because he did spend a few, few more hours with me to make sure I was all right and to eat the dinner I prepared. <laughs> and I said to him, Bill, that was a miracle. And he looked at me and he opened the the course, which was always by us, and he read this to me out of the course. The miracle is useless if you learn but the body can be healed. For this is not the lesson it was sent to teach. The lesson is the mind was sick that thought the body could be sick. Projecting out its guilt caused nothing and had no effects at all. Now, that, that's a great deal to absorb. But basically what it's saying is that the body's an illusion. Whether we want to believe it or not, <laughs> the body's an illusion. It's part of a dream we're dreaming collectively. It is not our reality. It seems very real indeed. It's what holds us in this world. Guilt goes along with it. The body is a symbol of guilt. What are we guilty about? Well, you can say to ourselves, oh my God, I'm guilty about so many things. But what it's saying is that guilt isn't real either because it's attached to the body and the world. Without the world, without the body, there is no guilt. It's gone. And if you can get into that frame of mind just for a few moments, and especially if you have someone with you who believes the same thing, you can go past the illusion of pain and illness. The idea that my burn healed immediately was a very dramatic lesson I think I had to teach myself. I never did that again, by the way, Uh, but it did change very much the way I saw the body. And my teacher, my mentor, my friend, Bill Thetford, just smiled, closed the book, and said, when do we eat? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, wow. You, you mentioned there, Judy, uh, about the guilt. Um, you know, guilt is growing up Catholic. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of guilt flying around. And some people talk about ontological guilt, you know, this guilt from original sin. But sometimes this guilt kind of bubbles up and then it's projected out. Um, can you just talk a little bit about guilt and how you think about that and what it says about it in the course? Yes, of course. Guilt is a major subject in the course. And I would like to just touch upon it today. What we're talking about, and remember, it's imperative that we recognize in this conversation that I am talking about non-duality. So why in the world of form, which we have made, we have dreamed this dream, just the way we cause our own dreams at night. Nobody is putting a needle in our head or doing magic on our brains and saying, dream this dream. We are the maker of our own dreams. When we're sleeping, we dream a dream, and it may be a very powerful or a very frightening dream. But we've written the script. We've cast the characters. If it's a movie, we're the projectionist. We're also the audience. It's all one. And when we wake up, it's over and has never really happened in the world in which we live. I'm likening it unto that. In the Course, it tells us, in the, it says, in the Course, it says, in the Bible, it says, and God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. But nowhere in the Bible does it ever say he awakened. And the Course uses that idea and says, we will never have any comprehensive awakening until we know that this is an illusion and a dream. At that point, God takes the next step. So where is the guilt and where does that come in? You can point to, as, as a Catholic, original sin. I'm going to point to, in coarse language, the original guilt. <laughs> guilt comes from us thinking that we have made ourselves. We are in a dream, and we have dreamt this world. But we feel tremendously guilty because we have left our source. It's like we've gone away. We've retired, we've left, we've abandoned God. And we have made everything ourselves. And we feel tremendously guilty about it, and that is the source. So then, how does God feel about that? First of all, who knows? <laughs> Second of all, God is not, in the Course, a figure that looks like us. This is God created us in his image. We all have grown up with that idea, certainly in, in Western tradition. Does God have an image? Does he look like me or does he look like you? Who does God look like? And we have that old man in the sky, very wise, because we have no other way 
of conceptualizing it, but if we recognize that God as spirit, as eternal, as formless, has created us exactly like that, then we are not bodies. Well, then who made the body? We did. God is our source, and we feel guilty, even having forgotten that we left it. The guilt is there. The Course talks about the world of form very often, because that's what it's about. It's helping us to change our minds about who we are and how we see ourselves. And the expression that I always remind myself about the Course is God did not make this world, you did. God did not make this world, you did. And that is so antithetical a thought to Western Judeo-Christianity. It is so opposite of what we've been taught. But it's not very different from very many Eastern traditions. So even in this world of form, there are so many others equaling us and maybe more than in Western Christianity who believe something very different. The world is form, yes, but that is not our eternity. That is not our source. That is not, well, the expression of God is not necessarily used. But I hope you get the idea about what I'm talking about. This, this can't be covered in just one podcast, and our podcast theme is forgiveness. Yeah. And the whole idea of forgiveness is the correction. Forgiveness is correcting our minds. It's not forgiving someone else for what she or he did to you. It's not even forgiving the thoughts that you may hold against someone, even knowing they're not true. It isn't even amorphous forgiveness because you're holding thoughts of negativity about a whole group of people. It's recognizing that it never happened. How can you forgive someone and still be equal to them in spirit? The only way you can do that is to recognize that in a non-dual thought system, this never happened because it is not real. It is not of God. All that's of God is love. Anything in the world that you can think of with love, you know that God is with you. Now, God is not with you when you don't think of love. <laughs> I don't want to say that at all because God always has its presence within us. And actually, the Course tells us that God gave us his voice. The voice for God speaks for God and reminds us within every step along the way how to change our minds from fear to love. Love being our essence, love being the essence of what is in us as we were created. So forgiveness then becomes these forgiveness stories that we're telling become a very different kind of forgiveness than we talk about in the world. 
and the reason I told about the boiling oil <laughs> and the story, and particularly what Bill quoted to me from the course. By the way, those of you who are course students listening to this, I can tell you exactly where that quote is, and it's in the text, chapter 28, and it's section uh, 2, Roman numeral 2, and it's paragraph 11, sentence 6 and 7. That's <laughs> I just said that because some people do ask. Um, I'm going to say it once more because it's so profound for me. The miracle is useless. And what, I ha what happened to me, of course, I could say, and the doctors around me would say, is a miracle. How I got possibly a second degree burn. And it all of a sudden, in a few moments, was gone. So that will say is the miracle. The miracle is useless if you learn, but the body can be healed. For this is not the lesson it was sent to teach. The lesson is that the mind was sick, that thought the body could be sick. Projecting out its guilt caused nothing and had no effects. I projected out my guilt. I burnt my hand. Bill, with the help of Bill, who helped me go into another state of thinking, the pain went away. The body is nothing. Our mind is everything. If we had one iota of an idea how powerful our mind is that made this world and keeps it here, we would be astounded. However, the good news is there's another part of our mind in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And we're told from the Course, when the ego was made, which is by us in a dream collectively, God placed in the mind the call to joy. This call is so strong that the ego always dissolves at its sound. So my ego was terribly invested in burning my hands. I also was angry and feeling guilty that I was angry. It vanished in seconds. And that was one of the most powerful demonstrations I had in my life. That all of this was real to me. That miracles and forgiveness, forgiving myself for my anger. Those men didn't do anything to me by having a conversation without me. I was envious. It was all the ego reacting and my feeling guilt about the ego reacting. And so I burned myself. And then the burn was gone. The miracle came to teach me exactly that lesson the body is nothing but the mind is everything and one changes one mind that is called forgiveness the correction and miracles go hand in hand with forgiveness powerful story judy i'm noticing that you know woven through now this is the fifth podcast is this idea of willingness where Bill says, are you ready? Like, are you ready? And then you, you, you and back in episode one, you just decided you were ready to forgive, uh, 
forgive your family back East on the subway, you kind of closed your eyes and, you know, became willing to look at the lesson for the day and make that the focus. And so I'm noticing this idea of willingness. Can you just talk about willingness in general a little? Willingness and intent go hand in hand. So if you are willing to accept that you have a problem, then you can also be willing to recognize that the problem has already been solved. What does that mean? It means according to our intent, to how much we want it, we will start to recognize we never had a problem to begin with. Why? Because we are in a dream, in an illusion. And there is a way to see it differently. Do we suddenly say, I'm willing now and I will not be in this world? No, of course it doesn't happen that way. But if you're willing to let that inner voice guide you from the very stillness that lies within, and we all know there's a still and very quiet space deep within, if we can be willing to go to that place within and our mind where it's still and quiet, we will be given all the direction that we need and how to live in this world of form that we made and how to serve with love and therefore eventually how to awaken to our true identity. But willingness is everything. Without willingness, nothing happens. I mean, if somebody asks you, are you willing to undertake this particular function we have at the office today? Well, mostly you're going to have to say yes because it's your job. But there are some times when things happen and you're just not willing to go along. I'm not willing to go on the picnic today. There are people there that I don't really like, and I'm not going to have such a good time. It's all your own willingness. When you apply the willingness to want to awaken, you get all the help that you need. So my intent and my willingness and The Course says someplace, and I can't quote you exactly the page, but it has to do with being slightly willing. Show the slightest willingness, and a thousand angels rush in to help. So, of course, that's a metaphor, but being slightly willing, you get all the help you need. And I would say that's the first step to solving your problems, being willing to let go of your decision of what it is and ask for higher help to help you see it in a higher way. And that would be called forgiveness. Wonderful. Well, what a moving story yet again, Judy. I really appreciate this. As we close, is there anything else you'd like to share? Or you shared a lot today. We can just close there. I think I just want to tell everyone who's listening how much I appreciate them listening so I can teach this to myself. The Course tells us we're all teachers and learners. There's a tremendous equality here. We all help each other. And... All our listeners help me by letting me tell my stories to myself and to them. Well, thanks so much, Judy. Again, 
happy holidays to you and look forward to the next episode in 2021. Thank you so much, Matthew, to you too. And let's start to change our minds. Thanks so much for listening today. Please subscribe to Miracle Voices by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you are enjoying these conversations, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. And lastly, please visit us at miraclevoices.org and join our newsletter so we can stay connected. Until the next podcast, I want to leave you with my favorite course quote, when you want only love, you will see nothing else. Nothing else.